Welcome to Gil Reads Comics, where I recap and review issues of your favorite comics as I guide my non-comic reading brother Adam through the world of heroes and villains. On today's episode, we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man issue 1, released on July 11th, 2018. This issue was written by Nick Spencer, with art by Ryan Otley. There is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books. Comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's gonna stop me. Adam, today we're talking about issue one of Amazing Spider-Man. And you... You know, not being a comic book reader, when I say we're reading issue one, you probably think we're reading something from the 60s. You got me. You dummy. We're talking <laughs> about a reboot. You see, DC and Marvel, they have these comic series that have been running for five, six, you know, 800 issues. That's a big number. It's intimidating for people like you or people like me who are just getting back into comics. So every once in a while, when they bring on a new writer, they'll start over with an issue one. So recently, Dan Slott, he was the writer for Amazing Spider-Man. He moved on from the series after writing it for about 10 years. They just brought on a new writer, Nick Spencer, new artist, Ryan Otley, and this is their first issue. So I won't go into a full recap to fill you in on kind of all the details from Dan Slott's run. And I'll say I've only read bits and pieces of it, so I don't know all the details. But this should be a good jumping on point for us. And if they make reference to anything, we'll do the research. We'll fill in the details that we need. But before we get into it, I just want to ask, baseline how much you do know, what do you know about Spider-Man? Do you know who Spider-Man is? Well, I know, but I don't think I'm supposed to say. No, if you know who Spider-Man is, you should say. So I want you to be the barometer for, you're the window for people that don't read comics. And by the way, you should read comics. If you don't, I want you to listen. But the next thing I want you to do is go to a comic book store, go to Marvel.com or Comixology and buy the issue. But Adam, you're the barometer. If you know something, I'm going to assume everybody knows it. If you don't know it, I'll assume they don't. That's fair. Uh, I'll go in reverse chronological order. So I've seen, I saw the new Spider-Man movie with the kid. Tom Holland. Yeah, what's that? Amazing Spider-Man? Spider-Man Homecoming. Amazing Spider-Man was a few years ago. That was Andrew Garfield. I saw that one too. Uh, I also saw, what was the... The most recent was it an Avengers movie? Spider Man was in that too. Yeah, Infinity War. Yeah, okay, I saw that one. <laughs> Basically, it's a lot of movies. I didn't. I haven't read any of the comics. You've never read one of the comics. No. Wow. Okay. I've seen. I've I've seen the physical. I've seen a physical book before, but I just looked at the cover. Okay, you've seen a book. That's a good start. <laughs> um, and then also, I've seen the. You know those the what are the other Spider-Man movies, the trilogy by Sam Raimi. Uh, yeah, that was called Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, but who? <laughs> I was trying to think of who played. What's the name of the guy? Oh, Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire. Yeah, yeah, I saw those. 
Those, I like those. All right. Let's get into Nick Spencer's first issue of Amazing Spider-Man. The issue opens up with a monologue from Peter Parker. This is one of the things I love about comic books, actually, is the inner monologues you get from the characters. You get that in regular books, too, but it's bogged down by all the details having to explain what's going on. In a comic, though, they show you what's going on, and the inner monologue of the characters can be focused on what's going on in their mind, Hmm. which is the interesting stuff. That is kind of interesting because it's sort of what real life is like, where you see a bunch of stuff out in front of you, and then you also have a running inner monologue in your head. My inner monologue does describe everything I'm seeing. Like when I walk around, I think, there's a car over there. The car's moving. There's a tree. How do I feel about that tree? Oh, no time for that. There's a guy over there. You don't even actually see. You're just constantly listening to to something telling you what's going on. (laughs) Well, let me read directly from the comic for this one. This is Peter's opening mod. Oh, yeah, by the way, Peter Parker. He's Spider-Man. Okay, because I know that that changes, right? In certain, in from comic to comic? You're probably thinking of Miles Morales. Yeah, I guess it's, it's complicated, right? So, yeah, we'll get into it. So other characters have worn the mask and gone by the moniker of Spider-Man, um, but not relevant right now. I don't want to confuse okay. people too much. All right, we'll start from with the basics. Peter Parker. This is his opening monologue for issue one of Amazing Spider-Man. There's a reason we tell ourselves stories. The details we focus on, the ones we leave out, the order we put things in. It all matters. Sometimes a lot. Because we need those stories to get through the day, through the hard times. This is my story, the one I play in my head while everything goes wrong. It's the one where I'm on top of the world, where I feel safest, where I'm loved, where I'm not alone, because we're together. Mm. Let's see, you look like you're getting a little misty-eyed over there. Yeah. And let me add to that, all of that monologue takes place over a scene of Peter Parker wearing the Spider-Man costume. He's got his hands around MJ, that's Mary Jane, his hands around her eyes. When he lifts up his hands, she sees that they're standing on top of the Empire State Building. They're in love. Do you know why this scene has such significance? Mm. Does, did something bad happen to her? So you know that Mary Jane is the love of Peter Parker's life. They got married a long time ago. A few years back in Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man, Aunt May was shot and was dying. To save her life, Peter made a deal with Mephisto, essentially Satan in the Marvel Universe. Though, I think there also is a Satan in the Marvel (laughs) Universe. But anyway, Peter makes a deal with Mephisto to save Aunt May's life, but the price is that Mephisto took away Peter and MJ's relationship. Mm, Okay. So for years, fans have been clamoring for Peter and MJ to get back together. So the fact that Nick has chosen to open up his first issue with this scene says that he's thinking about it. Peter's thinking about MJ. So are they going to get back together? Maybe. And that is why this is such an important scene. Hmm. And so is this showing us something like a flashback or do we not know at this point? This could be... 
this could be something that's really happening in the, the timeline of the comic? Well, the very next panel is Peter waking up, so this is likely a dream he's having. Uh, but okay. it is a recreation of a scene that took place in, I believe it was a spectacular Spider-Man annual from a few years back. So it is actually redrawing a scene that occurred. So I think he's dreaming about something that actually happened a few years mm-hmm. ago. Okay, and the reason, then the important thing is just his mind is on this, and so it's opening up the at least to the reader who's concerned about this, they're starting to think, well, if they're talking about MJ and Peter Parker, then maybe there's a chance something could happen. Exactly. It's two things. That's layer one, the fact that they're even putting it in the comic. Layer two is that it's implied Peter's thinking about it. So maybe he's starting to remember their love. Maybe he's starting to fall back into Uh, love. Okay, so Mephisto's curse or whatever you would call it actually made was supposed to make him forget. Well, he changed the timeline. So Peter and MJ, even in this newly formed timeline, were in love at one point, and then things fell apart. So they never got married. Mm, Okay. And then the saddest thing was, this was like heartbreaking. Mephisto shows Peter this little girl and then says, this girl will never exist now because that was going to be his daughter in the future, and that timeline's been erased. Wow. Yeah. I mentioned already that this was a dream Peter's having, and he's woken up by his, one of his roommates playing Call of Duty Latveria. Now, Adam, could you point out Latveria on a map? Latveria? Yeah. I don't think that's real. See, that's why, that's why you're on this podcast, because you're a smart guy. <laughs> I read the comics, but you help me figure them out. I thought Latveria might have been a real place but it's actually a fictional european country ruled by dr doom oh okay and fun fact typo in my notes it says that it's ruled by dr broom (laughs) see now that's a very different that would be a very different country it'd be a very clean country i will sweep away all of the dregs of society (laughs) Nobody steal that. That's I'm I'm writing a comic, Doctor Broom. I like that. It, are this, th- by the way, reminded me of my own roommate, my older brother. He plays video games all the time. Ironically, he's playing uh, Spider Man a lot right now. He doesn't usually wake me up. He's very respectful about it. He'll turn the volume way down, but he does do one thing which shouldn't annoy me, but it does. He'll play video games until he gets tired. And then just shut off the system and fall asleep on the couch. And then whenever I open the door, he always wakes up all freaked out. So anytime I open the door, I have to walk into this. <gasps> and then he just stares at me with these wide eyes for a couple seconds. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, when there's a, a deer in the middle of the road, in the middle of the night. Exactly. Yeah. Every time I open the door, I feel like I'm swerving my car out of the way of hitting uh, an animal. <laughs> but what's established in this scene is Peter's got two roommates. One of them is Randy Robertson. That's Robbie Robertson's son. Peter works at the Daily Bugle. You probably know that from the movies, right? He was a photographer. Uh, we'll learn later on that he's no longer a photographer. He's the science editor now. 
Um, but he lives with his boss's son, and he has a second roommate, Fred Myers. That's the one who was playing Call of Duty, yelling at the TV, and woke Peter up. Fun fact about Fred Myers, Adam, is that he is a villain, a supervillain named Boomerang. And Peter knows this, but he figured this guy Fred wants to live with me. We could use the extra rent, and now I could keep an eye on the villain. <laughs> so he figured out a way to to monitor the villain and actually get the villain's money. Exactly. Couldn't he just put a stop to him? Well, how's he going to do that? You know, he could when Fred when Fred falls asleep after playing a video game, Peter Parker can just come out of his room and just you know, just snuff just, him out. Just snuff him out. Yeah. No, no, Peter doesn't kill. Really? Yeah. No, I know I knew that. I I okay. knew that. <laughs> I was about to get mad at you. <laughs> well, you know, some of, some of our listeners might not know that. That's true. So Peter... He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Exa- exactly. He does call himself... People call him that. He calls himself that. Very few heroes actually kill, right? The Punisher kills, um, but... Does Batman kill on occasion? He does not... I think when he was first created, Batman uh, actually carried a gun around... But since then, it's become pretty heavily part of his mythology that he does not kill unless you watch Batman v. Superman. He's, he blows people up you know, left and right. <laughs> but back to the comic, Peter wants to get mad at Fred. He goes to yell at him for waking him up, and Randy, the other roommate, stops him. He says, Fred's actually not such a bad guy. He's trying to keep the peace. You get the feeling that Randy's kind of the good guy here, and Fred is, well, literally the bad guy. There's um, a funny piece of dialogue here I wanted to share with you. Randy says to Peter, I don't know what you're complaining about. Didn't you need to be up already for that early morning press conference at ESU? And then Peter, confused, he says, huh? No, that's Tuesday. Randy says, "Uh, Pete, what day do you think it is? And then Peter says, uh, other Tuesday? <laughs> Peter's got a lot on his mind. I think that this sequence really just sets up the status quo. You see who he's living with. They set up a situation that's ripe for comedy and potential conflict down the road with this Fred character. Is this a bridge too far for you? Like, Do you buy it that Peter would choose to live with a supervillain? Uh, no. Well, I buy that Peter would because he, he's a combination. My impression of him has always been that he's kind of a combination between a, a genius and a poor decision maker. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I also think, so that's true. And you're thinking about our world our reality you got to think about it from peter parker's perspective in the marvel universe there's superheroes and supervillains running around all over the place so they're far more common than they are Mm. in our world so i think the ridiculous factor of living with somebody who doubles as a villain is a little bit toned down in the marvel universe right i guess there the the whole notion of heroes and villains it's like a part of life they almost need each other to exist. 
Whoa. Yeah. That's some heavy insight. That's why I'm here. I'm going to let that just uh, hang there for a second. Peter says in his inner monologue that he has a lot on his mind, and we get a little window into what that is. His whole inner monologue in this issue, you can sort of read it as him reflecting back on his day. And he's not thinking of his day you know, from uh, in sequential order. So we do jump around in the timeline a little bit. So I think what is shown next takes place a little bit later in the day. What we see is that all of the Avengers, plus miscellaneous other heroes, including the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Defenders few of the X-Men are all fighting against a horde of little green aliens that look like face huggers, you know, from the movie Alien. Like a like a, those head crab things. From a Half-Life. Like Half-Life, yeah. Exactly. They're fighting. Spider-Man shows up, and he's not welcomed for some reason. As soon as he arrives on the scene, the defenders look up at him and all three of them simultaneously say, "Ugh, you?" <laughs> um, who are the defenders? The defenders are Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. Daredevil's part of that team as well, but in this scene you only see the three that I named. And I hope I'm not straying too far. Who's Iron Fist? Iron Fist is Danny Rand. I don't know a lot about him. There's a Netflix series uh, about this character. He is a guy that went to um, another country where he learned of the power. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot Latveria? about this character. Did he go to Latveria? Didn't go to Latveria. He, I'll say he's a, he knows martial arts, and if he concentrates, he can activate a power in his fist that allows him to punch very hard. Okay, I can do that. You can do that? Like you can well, get I, a glowy fist? or You can punch hard, you mean? I can punch hard if I like really try. Okay, well this is like supernatural level punching. Okay, now I can't do that. I don't know why everyone's mad at him. I don't know if you have any theories. Mm, I th- Well, okay, it kind of reminds me, I think in the Avengers or in uh, Homecoming, maybe, it seemed like the the other heroes just aren't that fond of him. I think they see him as like a kind of an annoying kid, youngster. Mm-hmm. Although in those, in that he's in high school and in here he's he's like an employed adult, but maybe they just think he's a little bit of an, a nuisance. Well, I think we get a little uh, potential insight into um I I have no idea why they're all mad at him. Um but I think we get some insight into that in the next scene. We get a flashback to a few weeks ago where Spider-Man hears about an armed robbery happening at a bank. He travels to the bank, and when he swoops in, he finds out that it was all a ruse. There is no bank robbery. Instead, what he finds are a bunch of journalists there for a press conference being led by the mayor of New York City, Wilson Fisk. You know that name? No. It's the kingpin. Is he a mob? He's a mob guy? Yeah. Okay mob boss so i don't know how he ended up as mayor of new york city i do know that in general his crimes have always been very hard to pin on him so there's no official legal record that says he's a criminal and somehow i guess he was able to sway the city of new york into supporting him enough to elect him mayor Hmm. 
the reason he drew Spider-Man there, so he put out the fake call saying that there is an armed robbery happening just so he could get Spider-Man to show up so he could present him with a key to the city. Spider-Man clearly does not trust the kingpin, so he turns down the key and he says, I'll stick with my regular sized key. Instead of a big key. Instead of a big key. I really like that. That line made me laugh. That's why I wanted to <laughs> yeah. share it with you. Here's where we get some insight. After Spider-Man swings away, Kingpin's speechwriter talks to him and he says, I still don't understand, Mr. Mayor. You've all but declared war on every so-called costumed hero in New York. And then Wilson Fisk cuts him off and he says, But for the Spider-Man, I have nothing but praise and adulation. You are wondering why that is. The speechwriter says, Yes, sir. Then the Kingpin explains in classic villain monologue. He says, Some men thrive on independence. Others crave the approval of others so badly they make inane jokes constantly, even trying to earn the laughter of their sworn enemies. I could attack and hunt the wall crawler, but to truly hurt him, it is much better to isolate him, create a schism between him and those whose admiration he craves. And once I have him, alone and quartered, only then can I. Then the speechwriter butts in and says, squash him? Er, squash yeah. him like the buggy is, sir? <laughs> Kingpin then sighs and says, I need better speechwriters. <laughs> I like I like how they, uh, even the villains are funny. That's one thing I wanted to say about this issue in general. There's a lot of exposition just to sort of explain to you the status quo, what's going on, but they always mix it with humor that feels natural. So it's uh, it's not it doesn't feel like you're just reading a bunch of facts about what's going on. It's it's funny and it like I said it comes out naturally. But I wonder from this dialogue maybe Kingpin has done something to turn the heroes against Spider-Man because he says that he wants to create a schism. Am I saying that word right, by the way? You was are? it schism? Oh, schism. Okay. <laughs> schism, schism. He wants to create a schism between Spider-Man and those whose admiration he craves. Spider-Man always wants the admiration of the other heroes, so maybe Kingpin did something that uh, maybe frames Peter as a villain of some kind. Mm, or maybe... Maybe they got the sense that he was, like, cooperating with Kingpin. Mm, that could be. That's, yeah, that's a good theory. My, my, my fear is that maybe something happened uh, in a previous issue that I just don't know about. But hopefully, if that's going on, I want you listeners to hold me accountable. If I'm missing an important piece of information here, write in and let me know. Don't you think Kingpin probably has a New York accent? Yeah, what was I doing? Kind of British, right? No, you were just... He just sounded very intense and serious, but... All right. So it'd be more like, some men thrive on independent... No, it's not New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) Some men thrive on independence. Hey! (laughs) I guess it's Staten Island. Is Kingpin from... Is Kingpin from Staten Island? Because if so, then there you go. I'm gonna... I'm gonna beat you up, Spider-Man. Hey, Spidey. All right, we'll we'll workshop that for the next issue. Back to the aliens. And forgive me, I'm going to have to curse here for a second. 
because I don't know how else to express my feelings about this. But we're back to the alien battle, and people are still giving Peter shit about I don't even know what. Daredevil's giving him the cold shoulder. Johnny Storm, that's the human torch from the Fantastic Four. Him and Spider-Man have been buddies for a long time. The human torch literally tells Peter, Daredevil doesn't like you, and by the way, I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of these little uh, crab alien things jumps onto Johnny's head and sticks a bunch of tentacles into his mouth, which honestly made me gag a little bit when I read it, but he, he deserves it. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he sounds like he's being a jerk. All right, now we get to some good stuff here. We see, uh, so you remember I mentioned earlier the ESU press conference. Yeah. ESU is the university where Peter Parker got his PhD. He's there covering, um, like I said, a press conference where apparently they're announcing that they've developed some new technology which uses machine learning algorithms to scan documents and detect potential plagiarism. Mm -hmm. And as a demonstration of this new technology, they decide to pull up Peter Parker's graduate thesis (laughs) and scan it. (laughs) Do you think someone staged that on purpose? Um, yeah, you'd think that they would have run this analysis before doing the live demo, but I get the feeling that there's nothing nefarious behind this. They were going to run it. They were hoping it would go well. In fact, Peter knows the woman who's making this presentation. It's Cindy Lawton. That's uh, somebody he graduated with. He asked her out once. I don't know how it went, but he mentions it in his uh, monologue here. They run the scanner and... It was plagiarized. And I see the look you're giving me. Peter Parker would never plagiarize. He's too good of a person. Um, But let me fill you in on some details. A few years ago, one of Peter's uh, nemeses, Doc Ock. Doc 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 Octavius. Yep. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand. Doc Ock switched bodies with Peter. Uh, Okay. And then when Peter was in Doc Ock's body that was all old and decrepit, he died. Peter died? Peter died, yeah. His, his consciousness died. Well, his uh, Doc Ock's body died with Peter Parker's consciousness in it. Okay. So for a while, we had the Superior Spider-Man. The, ish, the series was actually retitled because Doc Ock said, I'm going to be the Superior Spider-Man. <laughs> And he walked around in Peter's body for a while. While he was in Peter's body, he went to school and graduated. Oh, okay. So his graduate thesis looks like the work of Dr. Otto Octavius. Oh, I see. So the plagiarism detector is not necessarily detecting if you copied something. It's detecting the writing style. Exactly. So he didn't copy any existing work word for word, but it just appears to be the work of Otto Octavius. I see. The very next scene, Peter is fired from his job by Robbie Robertson, who actually believes Peter. He says, I believe you that you didn't do anything wrong, but I cannot have somebody working on my staff as a journalist who is uh, publicly thought to be a fraud. Fair. Why can't Peter tell everyone, hey, look, like, it's a little more complicated than this? He is saying that, and nobody believes him. But but I'm guessing he's not telling the details? Oh, he can't tell them the details or else they'll know he's Spider-Man. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I keep 
I, I forget that it's a secret identity. I have a question for you here. Morally, is it okay for Peter to benefit from all the stuff that Otto did while he was in Peter's body? Because Peter had a hard time graduating, and Otto basically said, I'm going to show him that I can do it. I'm going to graduate. I think it's fine. He, it's it, Peter didn't ask for it. It's not like when, whenever he, however he got back into his body, I don't think it's his job to clean up any mess that was left behind by Doc Ock when he was in control. And part of that mess would include having to go explain to everyone that that work was not mine. I didn't create it. I shouldn't have graduated. Like he didn't ask for that. That's just the situation he found himself in. And especially cause now he's not even doing work that relates to scientific research. You know, so he's not, it doesn't seem like he's lying about his qualifications. Well, he has certainly benefited from it in, in some ways. He is the science editor, so he does need mm-hmm. some credentials in that field. I think at one point, uh, and this is where, you know, I'm a little rough around the edges when it comes to the last few years of Spider-Man history, I believe you ran a company at one point. I guess. I, I suppose it depends. If he's going around uh, bragging about all the stuff that he did when when Doc Ock was controlling his body, he's like, hey, you see that paper? I wrote that paper. Uh, With nobody's help. Yeah. I, me, Peter Parker. Can you believe it? <laughs> and there was no one even in my con- in my body at the time. It was actually me. Are you me. crazy? <laughs> There's nobody in my body? What? Not that you asked, but... So yeah, he didn't do anything like that, as far as I know. So I agree with you. I think he's I think he's in the right here. Uh, there is one person at a minimum who knows Peter's secret identity, and that's Mary Jane. Even in this altered timeline where they were never married, she knows that he's Spider Man. And Peter basically says to himself, "I need a shoulder to cry on. I need to talk to somebody about all this crap that's happening to me." So we cut to a scene of MJ laughing hysterically, just at how ridiculous the situation mm-hmm. is. And this is a good example of what I said earlier, where they give you a lot of exposition, they fill in the details, but in a humorous way that seems natural. Uh, because when she laughs at him, she says, Hi, I'm Peter Parker. I didn't plagiarize my graduate thesis. It was my evil mad scientist arch nemesis in a clone body of me. <laughs> And then Peter corrects her and says, no, no, you got it all wrong. It wasn't a clone body. He transferred his consciousness into my body. I mean, now he's in a clone body of me, but that's a totally different thing. (laughs) So I didn't know about that. Apparently, I guess right now, there is a clone body of Peter out there somewhere with Otto Octavius's mind in it. So I wonder if we'll run into him at some point. Mm. I bet we will. And then uh, we have a little inner monologue from Peter where he thinks back on his past with MJ. And this is where we learn that in this altered timeline, or we're reminded that in this altered timeline, they were in love at one point, but he had too much fear about putting her in danger. She had too much fear about him being in danger. And that fear tore them apart, but they're still best friends. Is that is that reality, Adam? Can you be best friends with someone you once loved in a romantic sense not in my opinion you could try but i think it'd be too painful for everyone involved especially what what about when that person moves on to someone else 
If you're still in love, how are you going to feel? If if you do see a couple that used to be together, used to be in love, and now they're best friends, do you think it's a safe bet that they probably still have feelings for one another? Not necessarily. But what I would say is the only way that I feel like the only way that that could work out is if like their breakup, they kind of mutually were like, yeah, this isn't this isn't for us. You know, mm-hmm. sort of like in uh, Seinfeld with Elaine. Yeah. That said, I have no friends uh, who have successfully done this. Yeah. Any any friends I have that were in love with somebody, it went through a bad breakup. I would compare their current relationship less to the one between Peter and MJ and more to like Peter and Doc Ock. (laughs) (laughs) Where they're like sharing bodies and stuff. And and I tell them that. I go, you are more like Peter and Doc Ock. And they say, what what are you talking about? Listen to Gilreed's comics. (laughs) No, no. There you go. Uh, so the uh, Peter talks to MJ. She comforts him. You know, she laughs at him at first, but that actually helps. I think you know, bring some humor into it. And then she asks him, uh, "How did you explain this to Aunt May?" And then he says to himself, "Oh God," because now he remembers he needs to go talk to Aunt May about this. She doesn't know he's Spider Man, so he can't give her the true explanation. Mm. But it's Aunt May, right? She's gonna have his back. You would think so. She's always been very supportive of him. Very supportive, yeah. She's the one who had the famous line in Spider-Man 2 where she says, you're not Superman, you know. And then I remember in the trailer for that, his response was, not exactly. But that's not actually what happened. That's not the real response he gave in the movie. I, that was probably one of my first experiences where I saw a movie trailer and then then there were things in the trailer that weren't in the actual movie. Hmm. I guess I actually yeah. like when they do that because I don't want stuff to be given away. So if you can put some footage in the trailer that gives me a vibe for what the movie's going to be like, but don't actually give stuff away, I think that's a far superior way to do it. See, see how I use the word superior? Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, Peter goes to Aunt May's house. This is a very uncomfortable scene to read. He walks in all nervous, and he picks up the paper, kind of hides it in his back pocket, and he's like, oh, I don't think the paper came today. Nothing <laughs> seen the paper. There's no news today. But she lays the guilt on thick. She tells him that she has a news alert on her phone so she can always track whenever mm-hmm. anything happens with him. She always shares his stories with all of her friends. And, uh, you know, I've always been proud of you. I raised you to be a good man. Uh, and she's like, and now this. So she buys it. Ugh. And now here's the worst part. This is this literally pissed me off when I read it. Literally? Yeah. That's like, gross. I, you know, I have to calm myself down here. So you know who Uncle Ben is, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. That is the source of Peter Parker's guilt. It eats him up inside every day. It's not something you want to bring up around him, right? Yeah, should I remind? Should I remind everyone? What yeah, go, give us maybe your, that's a little uh, too elementary. Not go for it. Give us your understanding of uh, who Uncle Ben is to Peter. So he's the founder of this uh, rice company, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Peter's allergic to rice, so it's it's a big conflict in the family. No, so so uh, when Peter was first, you know, playing around with his powers and everything, 
he what 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 is it he was he got into uh an argument with uh someone be, they were screwing him over either they weren't paying him enough for his for the fight that he did with bone saw right <laughs> am i mixing things up here no i'm just gonna let you keep going i don't want to help you out okay <laughs> so maybe it changes from like origin story to origin story but the also give the broad view is i think uh someone uh peter was pissed off at someone who was like definitely screwing him over and then peter uh, the, and the guy was like well you know what this isn't my problem and the, then uh robber or, or uh, uh yeah uh, robber I, I, I gotta stop you i gotta stop you sorry this is just painful to watch Wait, hold. Let me, let me just. Okay, let me give the basic, most basic possible gist. Okay. okay. Basically, Peter um, did not intervene in something that he could have intervened in, out of uh, a sense of injured pride or something, because the person he was dealing with wasn't being kind to him. That person who he could, the person who ended up causing all of the problems, uh, ended up shooting Uncle Ben, and Peter realized if he had originally stepped in to help this other person, Uncle Ben would still be alive. That's right. Yeah. The details the details are all mixed up. Right, and you were using the version from the Spider-Man movie, which I believe is very similar to the one in the comics. Bottom line is, Peter could have stopped someone that he didn't. That person went on to kill Uncle Ben after Uncle Ben had told Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't live up to the responsibility. So obviously he carries around a lot of guilt. You don't want to bring up Uncle Ben around him. Aunt May says to him, I'd hoped your uncle and I had raised you better than that. Oh. Not cool. No. She should at least get his side of the story first. Well, and she said, you know, he says, like, I can explain, I can explain. And like everybody else, he sort of cuts him off and just doesn't believe that he has any possible explanation. You know, doesn't even listen. Uh,. What do you think of Aunt May here? I mean, what do you, what do you think of it from a from a character standpoint? Do you do you buy this? What do you think of it from a storytelling standpoint? Are you are you happy with the direction they're taking her, or or do you want to see her in that supportive role? I well, I want to see her in a supportive role, of course. But what I wonder is maybe in this universe she's just not as nice as we typically think of her being. Uh, or she just she believes the mainstream media way too easily. A problem that probably many people suffer from yeah. nowadays. You have to remain skeptical. Uh, I like it. I like what they're doing here because you can't trust anybody in this world, not even the Aunt Mays in your life. And I like seeing Peter backed into a corner like this. And then when he comes out triumphant, that's what's going to give all of us hope. We're back to the aliens. The heroes are totally overwhelmed. They're they're losing the battle. Over all this, you have another monologue from Peter. I won't read it for you word for word, but I highly recommend this issue, especially for the monologues. All of them, I thought, were pretty emotionally powerful. Basically, what he talks about here... First is some uh, exposition where he thinks about the paper that that he was accused of stealing. And it was on the topic of determining patterns and chaos, which makes him realize that he can spot a pattern here. And he finds the epicenter where all the aliens are coming from. 
and he decides he needs to go up there and stop this. On his way up, he starts to believe that this is likely a one-way trip, and he starts thinking about how, you know what, maybe this wouldn't be such a bad way to go out, and maybe if he sacrifices himself here, it'll show his friends and family how much they inspired him in a way that he hasn't been able to express in words. Hmm. A very selfless act. Selfless, in a way selfish, because he's thinking about, he wants this to be a vindication for him in a way. Mm. People look at him and they don't see, I mean, it's selfish in one sense, but truly selfless in the other, because he wants to tell people how much they have inspired him to be a hero. Very emotional, and then, boom, he crashes into a glass, and inside we see one of Peter's uh, kind of funnier-looking villains, Mysterio. Oh, I like Mysterio. Why don't you explain uh, who Mysterio is? Ooh, okay. All I can tell you is a little bit about what he looks like visually is he has this big, clear helmet on, and I think the inside is kind of full of like fog, like this weird green kind of foggy-looking stuff. Yeah, you're right on. Uh, he's got a dome head. His backstory is that he worked in special effects, so most of his... Uh, villainous activities involve tricking you into thinking you're seeing something that isn't really there um, using special effects and that sort of thing Uh, Peter easily stops him webs him up leaves him there for the cops Uh, one funny point here is that he says he's so embarrassed that it turned out it was one of his bad guys it's funny when you think about the fact that all these superheroes have their own villains and so when something's going down it turns out it's one of yours it's like ah damn it (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny these these heroes are sort of like parole officers for the villains you know it's like you get assigned a number of villains that, like your job is to keep tabs on them and you know they go in and out of jail uh so mysterio basically says uh you know why did i do this i was stuck in a rut i wanted to try something different instead of doing the same thing over and over <laughs> we can all relate to that yeah That gives Peter an idea, and we don't know exactly what it is, but he says when he hears Mysterio say, you know, I tried to do something different, that sets something off in Spider-Man's mind, and he swings away to do something. In the next scene, we see him talking basically to the camera, to us, so we don't know who he's talking to, but he says stuff along the lines of, things haven't felt right to me for a long time. And I finally know why. I couldn't have survived any of this without you. And then we find out he was talking to Mary Jane. And then she kisses him and says, We're in this together, Pete. We always have been. Whoa. Wait a minute. Yeah, 10 years. And they're finally getting back together. Damn. So this is like kind of a a big way to kick off this this new series. Yeah, it's huge. They were for for years in interviews. People were saying they're never getting back together. The whole point, uh, at least as far as I understand it, of breaking them up was they wanted to make Peter more relatable again. Uh, but but interestingly, I think that in the last ten years they've kind of taken him in a lot of different directions. And if you look at the title of this run of Spider-Man, it's called Back to Basics. So in a way, we're going back to some of the way things were. Mm. Anyway, all that being said, I, 
I know it's a comic book, and so whenever they sh- shake up the status quo, you have a feeling it's going to come back to the way things were. But it had been so long, I really started to doubt whether or not they really would get back together. And it bummed me out that they weren't. I thought, if Peter and MJ don't... They, okay, let me, so I'll digress for a second. My The first love that I ever witnessed in my life was Peter and MJ, because I saw Spider-Man when I was in sixth grade. So that was always the image in my head when I thought of, of romance and love. It's what got me through the day. When they broke up, it shook That got me. you through the day. <laughs> <laughs> now that they're together, maybe there's hope for me. There's a ch- You have a chance. There could be love out there for you. Exactly. So when you say 10 years, it's has it been... In our world, it's been ten years since since MJ and Peter have been together in the comic, uh, like in the comics, or is it ten years in the comics since they've been together? Well, you can't really put a timeline on it in the comics because we're in an alternate timeline here, right? So it's not like they. You could look at when did they break up, but you can't really say when was it that they were married and they weren't married anymore, mm-hmm. right? Just transition to an alternate timeline. Uh, in our world, I think it's been about 10 years. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Yeah, actually, I think it was 2008, so about a decade. Wow, so 2008 was a you know bad year. There was the recession, and even worse, MJ and Spider-Man broke up. Yeah, I had just graduated high school a year earlier. I walked into college, innocent-minded, and I thought, things are great, the world is my oyster. And then I saw this happen. Yeah. You're, now you can finally get back to living your life. Pick up where you left off. What do you think? Is it going to work out for them? Because they're not officially back together. They kissed. That's it. Yeah. They have so much history, though. Is this the end of the issue, by the way? Oh, yeah. That was the final panel. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think things have to... It has to work out, right? I hope it does. I really, I, I, this is what I want. I, I know that there's going to have to be some conflict. Things can't just work out all the time. But I want a honeymoon phase. Give us, you know, six issues where Peter and MJ are in love and everything's great, at least from the standpoint of their relationship. That's what I'm hoping for. And, and I'll just say final thoughts on the issue. Uh, clearly, I loved it. And I haven't read Spider-Man in a while. I, I really missed it. So I was happy when they announced that they were doing the reboot. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't reboot in the sense that it's erasing the timeline, but giving us an issue, a jumping on point. I was very happy that they did that. And I thought the issue did a great job of progressing the story while filling you in on the necessary details. So it worked as that jumping on point. And I don't know if they've always been this well written, but I felt, I mean, I laughed a lot. I, I've, it, I mean, when Peter went to Aunt May, it really hit me in the gut. So they're doing a great job with the emotional story here. And I'm hooked. I can't wait to read what happens next. And the great, the, the really most impressive thing is that I can't wait to see what happens next, not from a hero versus villain standpoint, but because I want to see what happens with Peter and MJ. So they got the characters so right in this issue. Adam, and how do you feel? Are you excited to see where this goes from here? Yeah, yeah, I am. I I think because I am you know, I just don't have as much exposure to the series outside of the movies, I sort of took MJ and Spider-Man for granted as just being together. 
And so the way that this opens up and the, the uncertainty around it made me feel some of what you're describing. And so I'm actually excited to see what happens there as the issues progress, which I think it, it, it wouldn't have been an easy task to make me care about that considering I didn't even realize that they were no longer together. And so this issue in, in just one issue, they managed to make me care about something that I didn't even realize was an, was a problem before. And it wasn't even, it was my retelling of it that got you to care about it. So my recap here is a very small, it's a, uh, not remotely close to how good a job they do in the comic itself. So if you actually read it, then I think the impact would have been even more than it was. And I saw you and I was looking, we're on video chat right now, so I can see his facial expressions and he's not lying when he said he was excited when they, when they got back together at the end there. So anyway, overall great issue. If you haven't read it yet, go out, buy it, support your local comic book store and read the issue. I'm Gil, and I read comics.